Hello and welcome to chapter 7 of Prometheus Rising and this chapter is one of the most important chapters of the book when the tables turn and there is no turning back for Adama anymore and everything changes. I hope you're really excited about this chapter because it's packed with action, emotion, tragedy and a road that will be opened for Adama to go on and to mark the next goals and the next direction of the book. Let's dive in. Clouds of flames and smoke rose from afar. Shouts and gunshots echoed from the mountains. After hours of driving and thought, my worst nightmares seemed to have come true. My heart pushed against my lungs and my body felt numb for a second. A part of me still refused to believe that this was true, that I had not been overreacting, that the village did not stand in peace and quiet against the majestic mountains, as I tried to talk myself into believing. I hid the car in between trees next to the village so that nobody would notice, but saw already the big army trucks painted in bright blue colors on the main road. I was too late. Peeking out of the trees, I saw how the village of Area 3 burned against the backdrop of the mountains. The turf huts were lit on fire by the soldiers in black suits with bluish elements, but I knew that underneath lay a titanium exoskeleton that would enhance physical performance and capture kinetic energy. All of them had blue helmets and black masks, with a display monitor inside that in some way resembled the Iron Man movies. Attack assistance and real-time health monitoring. The soldiers attacked like faceless monsters, without mercy and any trace of humanity. I ducked and ran across the village along the houses. My hands were shaking as I crawled through the smoke and the cries. There was no mercy for women and children. Many men were usually in the fields at that time of day. Maybe Caleb had taken his son with him. Maybe Rahab went hunting in the woods. Maybe they were still far away or had been able to escape. It smelled of ashes, burning wood and blood. It smelled of death, a smell so familiar from days ago. But this time it was no terrorist attack. It was the other way round. The army was erasing Area 3 from the face of the earth, and it was my fault. Rage inflamed inside of me because I knew this was wrong, terribly wrong. But I did not give in to this rage, and I made it my aim to reach Rahab's house. I needed to save Samuel, I needed to get them out of here. This was all that counted now. The flames were thick. The smell of smoke and fire filled my nostrils so intensively that I had to cough. As I saw those people die and cry and bleed, I suddenly remembered the feast, Lugnasa. I saw those same people dance around the fire and laugh, move to the rhythms of the foreign song that touched my heart. Suddenly, the sad song echoed in my mind, like a soundtrack to this dreadful moment. It was as if time stopped for a little while, and a yearning filled my heart. I knew there was no going back to that moment anymore. There will be many deaths, 
many you won't be able to prevent. There was Rahab's hut, and as I entered it, it stood empty. I walked around hastily, examining the room. Samuel, I cried, and was taken aback by how my voice shook. Samuel, are you here? Nothing. Samuel! Adama? A little quiet voice from behind me said and trembled. I turned around instantly, seeing Samuel's figure emerge from the straw. He stood there, unharmed. Quiet tears ran down his face. I sprinted towards him, taking him into my arms, hugging him, feeling, feeling his warmth in my protective embrace. Are you all right? I asked while examining him more closely. He nodded. Where's Rahab? Where's your mom? She told me to hide, he said. Why would she do such a thing? They could have burned the house down, him including. Okay, I said, trying to make my voice sound confident. I'm here now. Everything's going to be okay, I promise. I'll protect you. We just need to get to the car, okay? He nodded hastily, pressing his trembling body against mine, burying his head in my chest. This was when, for the first time, unspeakable fear filled me. I was afraid I couldn't keep my promise. I stroked his silk-brown hair while cries and shots echoed from outside. One last deep breath. As we left the house, I carried him in my arms and ran through the smoke and flames. They protected us from the view and the bullets of the soldiers. One of them saw us and approached, but I could strike him down without having to let go of Samuel. We made our way quickly, but as we were out of the village and thus out of the smoke, I heard shouts in the distance. The car stood only paces away behind those trees, but a soldier attacked from behind, throwing us to the ground. I was fighting him off while Samuel crawled away stood up, his eyes filled with horror. Run! I shouted to him. Run to the car! My head signaled him towards the forest. Maybe it was enough if he just hid behind the trees. A child was harder to spot. He hesitated, panicking, but started running then. He would make it. He, would make it. he had to. The trees meant safety for him, at least for the time being. The soldier was strong and preoccupied me while I was just hoping Samuel would make it. I tore away his helmet and mask, making his face an easier target. He was just a little older than me, brown eyes, bruised lips, and a scar that marked his pale cheek. He punched me hard in my guts, but my instinct to protect Samuel was stronger. I took the shotgun from his belt, but would not kill him. Injuring him so that he could not reach us was enough. I used the metal of the gun to hit him in his head, a blow that nearly knocked him out without the helmet. A shot resounded around my ears. Time stood still for a moment as my heart raced with panic and shock. Samuel. The first thing that I saw was a soldier shooting his firearm from a distance directly past me. Samuel. I turned around only to see the body of a child pressed against the ground, motionless. Everything inside of me exploded with a pain I had never known before. The pain destroyed me from the inside, and before I could get a grip of myself, rage took over my whole body and soul. The shotgun I held was fired with deadly precision. One headshot. The soldier in front of me was bleeding, his brown eyes empty with death. A second shot. The soldier who shot Samuel from a distance collapsed, dead. I knew where to shoot so that their exoskeleton would not protect them. 
I ran towards Samuel while the pain was eating me alive. Those seconds I would never forget. They would haunt me in my nightmares. How I picked up his dead body, unmoving, heavy. His eyes were still open, staring at me with the emptiness of an abyss. Blood was all over him, his clothes drenched in it. I sat down at the ground, holding what was left of him, rocking to still the pain that was nagging at me. I buried my head in his lifeless body, wished it was me lying there, dead. It felt like I already was, this very second. Everything in me died. Tears were streaming down my face, and I instinctively wiped them away with a bloody hand. Blood must, be, must have been all over my face, but nothing mattered anymore. The world as I knew it was dead. Rage took me over like a flood. It was all I could bear now. Let it free, let it drive me without thinking about consequences. I fell freely into the dark embrace of it as my consciousness was shut off. Armed with a shotgun, I ran directly into battle, targeting everyone who was dressed in a blue helmet and, and an inhuman mask. Instincts were driving me, my mind connected with the sensors of the gun and allowed me to shoot with speed and precision. Third shot, one down. They ran at me, but I could fight them off with ease because every fear had left me now. I could predict their movements, their reactions. In about one minute, I must have killed seven of them. The shotgun was empty of bullets, but every corpse had one, so I armed myself with a gun in each hand and ran across the village. Eight, nine, ten. My bullets went directly to the temple or the heart, and I rarely missed. I didn't care about the village people, just brutally moved them out of my way to kill those bastard soldiers. There was a time where I wanted to be one of them. Everything was my fault. I hated myself, and they represented me somehow, my dirty inner demon. So I fought them until either them or I were dead. I ran further, but soon no soldier was to be found. I strolled across the village, restless, the two guns in my hand. Where are they? Where is the rest? I approached the woman who was getting up from the ground, dirty, terrified. Pain struck my head again, this time with a stronger force. My ears buzzed for a second and images of fire and cries flickered before my eyes. I suppressed the ache and tried to shake it off, tried to focus on reality. Took many people into their trucks and left along the road, the woman murmured. I heard voices, men approaching from behind. Many came running from the fields now, and I caught a glimpse of McIan staring at me with horror. I saw Caleb approaching from afar. Where was Rahab? Was she dead? Another woman, though she could read my thoughts, whispered to me. They took Rahab with them. She's in those trucks. My rage thickened. Images flickered again, and I wanted to scream out of pain, out of rage. Instead, I steadied my breath and forced myself to focus. I'm following them, I shouted to everyone to, for everyone to hear. My voice was loud and hard. Is anyone coming with me? If so, take some guns, now. I ran, and I heard men taking shotguns from the bodies and following suit. McIan's voice flew past me. Let's go. I had only one thing in mind now. Rahab. Killing them was not enough. Would anything ever be enough? I sat down at the wheel. A handful of men jumped into the back of the pickup truck, McIan leading them. 
Someone sat down directly next to me in the passenger seat, and as I turned, I saw Caleb. His eyes watched me with hardness, an endless abyss of pain. He must have seen his son, dead. I clenched my fists with pain, stared at the engine and pushed the pedal as hard as I could. We rushed along the road like a suicide squad. From a distance I could soon see the trucks moving. I pushed the car even harder, and we approached the vehicles in a steady speed. The passenger of the back truck opened fire and Caleb shot with the weapon he got from a soldier but missed. It was impossible to use those guns properly without training. Unlike the old shotguns, there was no manual trigger and the shot was fired through the connection of the sensors and the brain, which allowed the user to shoot much faster and more precisely than a finger ever could. But to control this weapon, one needed to exercise the mind. I pushed the button on the left-hand side. Autopilot activated, a female voice spoke, barely loud enough that I could hear it through the sound of the wind and the steering wheels. Keep up the, keep up the speed, I murmured. Advise you, danger, the female voice pronounced, unable to compete with the sounds around us. Understood, I murmured automatically, keep up the speed. Broken glass still hung from the window and I leaned out of it, shooting, but it was no use, we were too far away. You need to drive, I addressed Caleb harshly. A shadow of doubt crossed his face. Had he ever driven a car? The shadow was gone as fast as it came and he just nodded. While still in full speed, we switched positions. We need to come closer, on the driver's side, I shouted. Caleb maneuvered the car to the right, hectically at first, so that the whole car shook. But he was a quick learner. A shot echoed from behind, aiming at the driver of the van in front of us. McIan's voice shouted angrily, Stop this! If he dies, they all might. He was right. There was no telling where the trucks would land at this speed. We approached the big military truck from the right-hand side. I climbed off the, out of the passenger seat into the back of, the, of our car. Now mount the truck and take over the driver's cabin, I instructed Fraser, who said there was Kenneth and two, old, two other guys I only knew from the games. For a few... Four of you'll be enough. Freda stood up without hesitation and took over the command while I provided fire protection. Kenneth nearly fell off when jumping, but was held by his companions. They climbed on top of the truck and made their way to the driver's cabin. The wind was speeding around their ears like a storm, but keeping balance was hard while our cars was, was still in full speed. But we were infused with adrenaline and the urge to protect what was dear to us. McKeon stayed next to me. I bent down to Caleb and signaled with my hands. To the next truck! He pressed the gas pedal to catch up with the truck in front. But the passenger from the back vehicle had now an unrestricted view on us and shot. I ducked, hoping the guys would overtake him in time. I tried to shoot back, but he held the definite advantage. We were completely unprotected. Another shot. I heard McKeon's dull scream, and as I turned around... Blood streamed out of his belly. He was hit. I breathed deeply while he was trying to stop the bleeding. He probably would not survive this wound, my mind calculated. I had to move, otherwise I would be dead as well. I got up to jump. Adama! McKean's desperate shout resounded from behind. I returned, bullets flying around my ears. He motioned me closer, so close that, I could that he could whisper in my ear. Lead them, Adama, he said.
coughing. They are your people. Those words made me stop for a moment, just enough to take them in, but not enough to overthink them. I gave him a nod and left, jumped up and leaped directly on the second truck, hoping my balance would hold me. It did. I climbed up the truck while the bullets flew around me. I ran and at some point the bullets stopped. I looked back for the split of a second to see Fraser get behind the wheel of the first truck. They had it. A wave of relief washed over me. I reached the driver's cabin, climbed towards the window as quietly as I could to reach the passenger's side soldier by surprise. Kicking him, I pulled my gun and shot him straight in the head. The driver looked at me in panic and tried to pull his weapon while driving at full speed, but I pointed the barrel at him. Stop the truck, I shouted. Stop it carefully. He looked at me with panic, but followed suit. The truck slowed down and came to a full halt. I shot him then, not hesitating for a second, and climbed out of the truck to see the people being held prisoner there. We freed all of them. Rahab was nowhere to be found. I learned from the prisoners that two more trucks had left long before. We would not be able to chase them down anymore. While the men helped those we had freed and talked to them, I walked back along that road, slowly. The sun was barely gone, and again it bathed the landscape in a red that now only reminded me of blood. So much blood. It was all over me, my hands, on my hands, my face, my red hair, but the rage, it was still there deep in my bones, swallowing, swallowing my inner being. My head buzzed with the same unbearable pain I had felt twice today, and this time I screamed, uncaring that my voice echoed between the mountains. I threw the gun against the ground with force and shouted while it crashed on the concrete. My breath accelerated, and I refused to calm down. Images flickered in front of me, clearer somehow, images of fire and people running, fleeing, desperate cries. I tried to shake them off held the breath, waiting for the pain to go. Within several seconds, it was over. The back of my right hand suddenly jumped at me, and I lifted it, pushing at exactly the point where the chip was implanted, pushing so hard that it hurt. But this hurt was actually a, a relief. I started to sprint to the village, ran towards the cabin and held me prisoner once. My hands forced the door wide open, and I scanned the room for my doctor's bag. It was still there, in the corner where I, where I last left it. I ran towards it, opening it, hoping that Kenneth had put back the scalpel after all. There it was. I aimed it directly at the back of my right hand. My hands were shaking. I breathed deeply. They said that cutting out the chip was an unbearable pain, as it was connected directly to our brains. Some did not survive it but I needed the pain, needed to feel that I was still alive. The scalpel went directly into my skin and blood streamed out of it. The, the physical pain was there, but it was nothing compared to the one inside my heart right now. It actually felt good, this hurt, this ache. As soon as the cut was deep enough, I reached directly in it, into it with my bare dirty fingers. I clenched my teeth in order not to scream from the pain, but tears streamed down my face because I could not bear myself any longer. There it was, the chip, the symbol of everything I despised now. I forced myself to stop those tears of pain and anger. 
The chip was tiny and I needed the tweezer to pull it out. As it kept slipping, the tweezer went inside and I pulled. As I did, my body went into shock. First, a pain streamed through my whole body and I thought that I would die. Then, my brain refused to obey me and I felt everything around me go blank. My pulse slowed. Breathing became heavy and buzzing filled my ears. I could perceive everything but at the same time couldn't. My mind was empty while my body was electrified with a pain I had never experienced before. The chip was in front of me now, in a tweezer. I blinked, trying to recover. Only then did I realize that I was screaming. My world would go black any second. So I lay down on the wooden floor to make the blood flow into my brain again. Several minutes passed. The pain slowly began to leave me. I lifted the tweezer and took the tiny chip between my fingers. There it was, covered in blood, the one thing that had controlled my whole life. I hated it, hated everything it represented, including myself. The anger gave me strength to get up. Throwing the chip to the ground, I stomped on it with my foot several times to make sure it was completely broken. But it was not enough. I spit on it and kicked it away into the far corner of the room. Shutting down every feeling, rational thought took over. A bath would be appropriate now. Those clothes needed to be changed. Slowly, I walked to take the, to the lake nearby and while the moon shone dimly on the landscape, I dismounted into the ice-cold waters that enveloped my body like a thousand needles. Pain distracted me. It gave me a sense of existence that I refused to allow it inside my heart. My breath was forming cloudy balls that vanished into the night. I washed the blood off my skin and hair and dressed into what I had with me in the bag I left in the car. The survivors gathered that night, but I didn't join them. After the bath, my system gave up completely. Adrenaline had taken its toll. I collapsed on the bed in the hut and was able to catch at least some hours of sleep. The last image that kept haunting my mind before my body gave up was McIan, lying on the back of the truck, bloody and motionless. So this chapter concludes part one of the book and I hope you enjoyed it. It was quite a harsh chapter and uh, yeah, it gave Adama a whole new direction and will give him a whole new direction. So this is actually the real beginning of the book, the real beginning of the journey that Adama has in front of him and um, I hope you will understand the change of his mind, the change of his reasonings and will follow him into the adventure that he is now embarking, an adventure of redemption somehow, and an adventure to find something that he is looking for his whole life. <laughs>